0: This is Jared Murphy from City Limits. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, and it is Wednesday afternoon, and we've already had a months full of political action this week. Um, so we'll talk today about the inaugurations that happened Monday, the new city council speaker that happened today, and the governor's state of the state address that happened today. Uh, inauguration Monday. Uh, takeaways, what what'd you think?
1: Um, you know, I wonder how much the cold affected uh, the ceremony, and people already were tamping down expectations about crowd size and energy, and I think that is reflective of, of any second term, uh, not necessarily de Blasio, but I thought that his, um, his speech was, I realized he truncated it because of the cold. I wonder what was kind of cut out of it. Um, it was intriguing in that it it really moved very quickly from citing familiar first-term accomplishments, namely the reduction in crime, um, it moving very quickly to assessing sort of larger social divisions. You know, it's an inaugural address. It's not a budget address. It's typically very light on a specific policy. Uh, but it was remarkable to me, I thought, in how little it talked about sort of his city agenda for the next four years.
0: You know, he ta- he's talked a couple times, the day after the election and then a couple other times about education is going to be my main focus in this second term. He didn't go into anything on that, even in broad strokes. Um, Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think, I don't know how much it really matters. You know, inaugural address, what matters, I think, is the themes that you strike. He talked about unity. He talked about the city being an antidote to what's happening out of Washington. And he hit this thing about the fairest big city in the country. And he got to tout, as you said, being the safest big city in the country, which is a huge, what, what has happened on crime under his watch is huge for him and huge for the city. Um, how much credit he gets, deserves, can claim all that. We can debate till our, you know, we're red in the face, but he gets to claim it. He's been mayor, big for him, big for the city. Now he's talking about this fairness thing it's a shift from equality. It's a little bit undefined still. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of you know his what territory that means? he
1: began moving to in the in the election, uh, moving from from talking about inequality to making it a fairer deal, making it a place where folks who are not as um, favored as others still have kind of a shot. Um, I do think it's interesting. His language was very eloquent on the social division stuff, on the kind of like what's going on with our national conversation about discrimination and hate. Uh, it's funny that you know this week we've read about these emails among he and his among him and his speechwriters that he was not satisfied with the quality of some of their speechwriting. Um, but as his speeches went, I thought it was the language was was very sharp and um, and did aspire to be a lot more eloquent than the mayor typically does. Um, so I think on that point it was a, a success. Um, but I think that, you know, I guess we'll wait to the budget discussion to hear more specifics on, you know, what he wants to roll out and when and how much the federal situation will reshape uh, or truncate those ambitions.
0: So I also thought it was interesting that you had Comptroller Scott Stringer, public advocate Letitia James, being re-inaugurated as well. You have these three big Democrats two terms each now, you know, that's a lot of power and, you know, a, a very uh, a stronghold for the Democratic establishment now in these three citywide positions. Um, they each really struck some chords of problems that are festering still under de Blasio's leadership. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. You know, they didn't say, Mayor de Blasio, you haven't X, Y, or Z, while they did say, oh, you did a good job with pre K. um, That was fascinating to me a little
1: bit. Yeah, Stringer talking about uh, the housing crunch, and uh, James, the public advocate, talking a lot, mentioning the the NYCHA uh, lead issue. I thought it was interesting that the tone of Stringer's speech was a little more conciliatory um, than hers was. Um, Partly that's just about presentation. That's interesting just because in the first term, Stringer did more of a job of challenging uh, the mayor than certainly the public advocate did. I wonder if they are now going to pursue sort of opposite tacks. Interesting. Um, you know, it was humorous when de Blasio said that he expected they would all agree. Right, he handled you know, was, that well. Yeah. It was the elephant on stage right. there that basically everybody on the stage with him or in the plaza was going to run for his job in, in, in four years and probably be staking out positions before that. Um, but yes, I thought that was, I thought it was interesting, you know, that the, the tone four years ago was uh, much more critical, obviously, of the, the, the person who was the outgoing mayor at that point, Mayor Bloomberg. It was different this time in that, obviously, the incumbent was being you know returned to office. Um, so I did expect them to take their shots, but for them to be relatively mild, uh, I wasn't too surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh,
0: Letitia James has shown over the last several months that she's really turned a bit of a corner into not being a consistent ally of the mayor, and, you know, she, she's had moments, of course, over the four years, but I think she's really now shifted into a different place of not worrying that much about his support, it seems, and maybe she'll still have it down the road. They've been allies, they've been close, um, but she seems much less worried about keeping that in place and much more worried about really staking out a place for herself as a voice of um, criticism and and you know, reason and uh, being the public advocate that we sort of imagine the position to be, and she's been a little quieter on that front for most of the last four years. Uh, Stringer, you know, he's been quieter the last year or so, but nothing would surprise me if he took the opportunity to to criticize the mayor. And, you know, I think citing the exact number or the near number of homeless people in the city was a pretty significant thing to do from that podium um, since the mayor's been in office for four years.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was interesting about Jane's position among the citywide leadership is, as has been noted over the past several weeks, especially with the elevation of Corey Johnson to be Speaker, you know, the other three citywide officials, if you want to call the Speaker one of those, are, are white men, and she is a, a woman of color. Um, and perhaps that is part of the that obviously that is part of what will set her apart no matter what. Um, maybe she feels that that is, uh, you know, it, it is incumbent upon her to speak more strongly on some of the issues that she, she's highlighted.
0: Quite possibly, and and I think it'll be interesting, you know, as public advocate more than anything else, you get to really define your focus, so we'll see what she starts to do in the next four years. I think uh, one other thing on the inauguration for me is, I don't even know how much that any of that mattered to de Blasio because he was on cloud nine, right? He had Bernie Sanders there heaping praise on him, which is about as good a validation as he could get right now, other than, you know, major leaders of the Democratic Party t- begging him to run for president or something like that. Um, so that was sort of a big moment for him. And, um, you know, I think it was symbolic, and I wrote a little something on this, like it was symbolic that he had Bernie there when four years ago he had mm-hmm. had the Clintons and, you know, just finally, and Cuomo wasn't there, and de Blasio was sort of finally free of the Clinton-Cuomo Era of his life and his career. We'll see what he does with Cuomo in 2018, but uh, you'd assume um, you know he's pretty much trying to leave that wing of the Democratic Party behind fully, even though you know since he's never really fully belonged in it anyway, given his beliefs. Um, And so you know, I think the mayor also is feeling some wind at his backs, having you know at his back having another four years to enact his agenda, and he doesn't have to worry about re-election, and he's going to basically do what he wants to do, which he's already shown by going to Iowa and telling people to shut up, who are saying, you know, why are you going to Iowa? Are you running for president? He's, you know, uh, poo pooing some of that. So we also saw today, as you mentioned, that he's going to have another person to deal with. Uh, Corey Johnson is the next Speaker of the City Council.
1: Yeah, that's interesting to me how, um, given the number of people who are in the race, Um, as recently as three or four weeks ago, uh, how quickly it all kind of folded up. I'm always fascinated by that. Um, And, you know, I think that everyone kind of expects the relationship between the mayor and the council to be different this time, probably to be a little more contentious. Um, they might be dealing with more challenges in terms of the economic situation and and the federal stuff. Um, But you were at Johnson's, uh, I guess not swearing in today, his first official act. Um, Did he give any signal as to what that relationship will look like? Well, he
0: certainly uh, struck a few themes. One was, I am going to be behind you, my members, my 50 other council members. I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to have your backs always. You know, he said whether you supported me in this race or didn't support me or, you know, whether you're a Republican, like I believe there's four members now of the Republican caucus or not, you know, he, he struck a very strong theme of unity and being a speaker who has his members' backs and that it will be a consensus-driven body. These are things we've heard from Melissa Mark Viverito. I think Johnson might be even a little more assertive in having his members' backs when it comes to any conflict with the administration. Or yeah, do you going think, on. was that
1: an implicit signal that there was a feeling that uh, Melissa Mark Viverito too often was willing to negotiate with the mayor and find consensus with the mayor? And leave some of her members behind. Do you think that's what was that the sort of subtle subliminal message of that?
0: It's a little hard to say. I mean, I would say maybe there's certainly a possibility because he also stressed the word independence and independent. And you heard other council members. I heard other council members sort of happily talking about how I like you know I like this independence theme and you know. I, I don't know exactly what that's going to mean. I think it will mean something, and we'll see. We will see the specifics of it play out, whether it's on budget, land use, etc. We're going to see uh, th- legislation, obviously. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people in the council and around the council who saw Melissa Mark Viverito as a mayoral ally, which she was, and she was speaker because of his support in part. Um, so I do think that. Uh, there's certainly room to question whether she always had her members back on things and whether she always pushed hard enough with the administration when they were negotiating bills and other deals. But if you really drill down with people, they can't always name many or even any specifics about times they really wish she would have been tougher. So... I think there's a little bit of that theme, but I don't know how prevalent it is. I think it's just always, you know, things have built over time. There's been some conflict. It's been four years. Let's be more independent, you know? What's interesting
1: about the word independence, too, is that the power dynamics are so multi-layered, right? The council being independent of the mayor is one factor. Individual council members having independence is another. And sometimes those can work against each other. If the speaker is unable to successfully and consistently rally her members behind her, um that her his ability to oppose the mayor and be a strong first is somewhat undermined so the more independence that individual members have to sort of discharge motions or to go their own way potentially to get picked off by the mayor if the speaker and mayor are in a, are in a fight over something uh is interesting too miss mark vivarito did certainly try to uh improve the independence of individual individual members at least more of the legislative staff uh, more power to committee chair people she retained significant control Mm of the levers herself. Um, So I wonder how much uh, Johnson will affect that mix. So I
0: think that in some ways he's going to be very similar to Melissa Mark Viverito. I think he's certainly going to um, look to be a good listener, to support members in the things they want to pursue. I think he'll be a little bit tougher with some of the members and a little bit tougher with the mayor. Um, How much tougher? I don't know, but at least a little, I should say. Um, I also think, you know, one thing that was very clear today is that the larger power dynamics of the city have shifted. You had Melissa Mark come into power four years ago as Speaker with the support of the Mayor, some powerful unions, and the Progressive Caucus. Now, Corey Johnson's coming into power with the support of a few powerful unions, but different ones. And the Queens and Bronx County organizations who got beat out last time in sort of a surprise maneuvering by the mayor and Brooklyn and the progressive caucus. And so it was very evident today. You had, uh, Congressman Joe Crowley in the balcony of the city council chambers, looking down on the proceedings. He had basically made this all happen. And I say that with a quick caveat of Corey Johnson worked his butt off. That was evident to everybody. I mean, Joe Crowley doesn't wind up supporting Corey Johnson if Corey Johnson hadn't built the relationships and been all over the five boroughs and basically pursued this position with a maniacal focus that you almost don't see anyone pursue anything with. Um, so Joe Crowley was there, though, having, having made this finally happen. Johnson thanked him with a lot of adulation. And you very quickly saw in one really good example the first thing that the speaker does sort of formally is nominate a rules committee which will then adopt the council's rules reforms that are sure to be coming and also approve the chairs of committees and the committee members and so he nominated that rules committee the chair of that rules committee is now going to be Rory Lanceman who is a very solidly sort of Queens guy former assembly member now council member four years ago the Rules Chair was Brad Lander, the leader of the Progressive Caucus, who Mark Viverito put in as Rules Chair. That's just a good microcosm of this of this shift.
1: that's it, fascinating and, and so valuable to know. And the question, of course, is when it comes down to policymaking, to making the budget, will that change in the cast of characters have any any effect? And we, we really don't know, because obviously, you know, on the issues that the Council faced during de Blasio one, there was remarkable consensus on most of them, you know, criminal justice, wage stuff, you name it. Um, That probably will still be the case these next four years. There might be times, whether it's the siting of uh, homeless facilities, stuff around the closure of Rikers, a few other things that might come up where that's that's not going to exist and where the the people who are in power now may behave differently than whoever was going to hold those positions if Mr. Mark vivrio had a second term.
0: Yeah, and you know, you basically could name every single thing though where there could be a shift in terms of where resources go or who's making the big decisions. Is there a park getting funded? You know, is is it there a renovation of a park happening in Queens or is it happening in Brooklyn? Is it happening? You know, is is there a real focus on a rezoning in a certain borough, a certain neighborhood where that council member was a big Johnson supporter? That might get more attention. It might get more resources. I mean, these are the things that happen right. when... I mean, that's political power.
1: Interestingly, though, there, there's also the dynamic of the fact that everyone in that room will basically be term-limited, and most of them will be fighting for a larger If they continue yes. in public life, fighting for a larger constituency. And so benefiting only their own district, even if they had the power to make that juice flow, may not be the top of their agenda because they're looking at a, a, broader, a broader electorate for whatever their next act is. Perfectly
0: so. well said. You know... A couple of the biggest things we're going to watch for next are who is chairing the big committees, finance, land use, you know, I'm hearing things over at City Hall. Oh, the Bronx is getting, you know, land use now, and Queens will get finance again, or vice versa, and they're they're figuring all that out. Um, but that is where you say, okay, who's the chair of land use, and are they then going to use some of that land use C- committee power to set up a run for Bronxboro president or comptroller or whatever it is. So your point is very well taken, and that'll be interesting to watch. Um, and of course, it being politics, it, it can go in all different directions. But you're absolutely right. There's going to be about 40 council members term limited out that may be pursuing those other positions in, in a few years.
1: So speaking of being interesting to watch, uh, as Corey Johnson was taking control of the city council... Governor Cuomo was delivering his State of the State speech up in Albany. Uh, It was a very long speech after 20 or 25 minutes of preliminaries and thank you to everybody for being there. It finished just shy of 90 minutes, I think. Um, It was an assessment of sort of threats facing the state. He said there were three, the old problem of discrimination, um, a kind of a, a basket of policy problems like climate change, the opioid crisis, and then the new threat posed to the state's economy by federal changes, especially the recently passed tax change. And, um, you know, the governor, as he does in these speeches, ran through a a long list of proposals, many of which had already been kind of previewed. Um, Some of the more interesting included, um, you know, empowering the State Correction Commission potentially to shut down jails that are not performing properly, um, restricting some funding around homeless Uh, dollars to to municipalities that aren't doing enough to get people off the streets. Um, What I found really interesting was, well, two things. Um, One, the very long section at the end, clearly not doing anything to dissuade people from thinking he plans to run for president, ending around this theme of the pluribus unum. unum. Um, The other is that in an election year, and we still haven't heard much detail on either of these proposals, the governor's talking about imposing a congestion pricing Scheme in Manhattan. He didn't say anything new about that today, but we know that's in the offing somewhere from this Fixed New York panel. And also potentially reworking the state's tax system to lessen the impact of the federal tax uh, changes, the SALT changes, basically going from income to a payroll tax. That is tremendously complicated. Whenever you touch taxes, as the federal example just showed us, you can have winners and losers all over the place. It is very interesting that the governor has teed up those two. Kind of thorny, no thank you, in an election year issue to to be on the table during this election year when he, frankly, is running for his current office, and everyone assumes auditioning for a much bigger one.
0: Yeah, I think I mean I think there's a parallel there to a this MTA stuff that blew up in two thousand seventeen. I don't think he saw coming to that extent, and I don't think he obviously wanted to deal with that type of crisis, and so he's forced to. And some of the congestion pricing stuff came out of that where he, there was, I think, such a groundswell of experts and advocates and editorial boards and others saying you should really be considering congestion pricing and him looking for ways to address this crisis that he was really being blamed for. Um, and so that almost like the mayor's, you know, monuments commission sort of ca- happen at that moment. And he's like, well, yeah, I think congestion pricing's time has come and here's a panel and, you know, it'll give me its recommendations. Well, now we're at the point of where those recommendations are due, also on the monument commission, by the way. Um, <laughs> but he's going to then have to alter those recommendations to fit his political agenda and the people he wants to please, not please, the amount of risk he wants to take. But this is, in an election year, reminds me of the mayor having to deal with homelessness last year and announcing a new plan in February of an election year where you think, you know, this is not something he wants to touch, but he sort of has to.
1: You're right. That's a great example, actually, the fact that, you know, politicians as powerful as they are as as kind of messaging uh, devices, they can only, <laughs> only set the table so much as things are thrown down at them and they have to... Uh, Have to react to them, which is which is really interesting, and I think that um, what will be interesting to see is the fixed New York panel, the governor's budget address coming up
0: within a couple weeks. Yeah,
1: Yeah. when we'll start to see more detail on this, how transparent the process will be, uh, how much this will be battled out in the press versus you know in behind closed doors. And on the tax
0: thing, though, he also said they're looking at suing or they are suing. He said
1: it is a three prong thing. They're going to uh, try to look at changing the way taxes are done in New York. Um, they're going to I forget what the second thing was, but the first thing was that they want to, uh, yes, yeah, sue um, to say that it is unconstitutional, that it violates state sovereignty, a uh, state's rights, I should say, and also the equal protection clause. Um,
0: because it impacts blue impacts states, some states more others. than others. and yeah. he,
1: you know, Cuomo is a very skilled kind of the
0: case with every federal policy, very, right, but yeah, a very
1: very skilled yeah. politician very skilled speaker. Much of it is, is clearly a theater, but he got very passionate about this point of the speech where he talked about just how much more money New York sends to the federal government than it gets in benefits, and that basically the federal government has pointed an arrow at the heart of New York state in order to give red states a tax break. Um, and so he was you know, very impassioned on that point um a speech where you know he he brought a fair amount of energy to a lot of it but clearly that was a high point for him uh, that he really wants to wage this fight and you know i don't know whether that's a court case that has any merit at all um but it's a it's a hell of a good fight to run if you want to position yourself as an antipode to to Donald Trump
0: right and and what's interesting is that you know A lot of that would have to be done in conjunction with the Attorney General, Eric Schneiderman, who's really been made a name for himself and has had all these, you know, media profiles about the actions that he's taking to try to stop deregulation and sue the federal government and stop, you know, a lot of Trump policies and and federal policies. So that's an interesting dynamic to me to watch, you know, sort of. whether there's a real case for them to bring here to, to try to stop this, like there's been some success on the travel bans and some of these other things that
1: you know, that's a great point for me to, to kind of shift to sort of last thoughts and things we'd we'll be looking for coming out of today's events. Is there was the moment where he, at that point, he turned to Schneiderman and thanked him for this work on this issue. He thanked Tom Apley for stuff around fossil fuels and other other pension issues. He thanked the legislature. Um, for all that almost it knocked does. me out of my chair. I, yes. ca- I caught some of the speech. Uh, and, yeah. This was not sort of the standard entry Cuomo, all the thanking. Um, and one wonders if, you know, a, a guy who has ruled much by sort of division and, and frankly, for better or worse, bullying people, if he now feels that there, he has the, the capital uh, or the need to have a more collaborative approach given what is on first of all what what does face the state real real threats that are are going to be difficult to solve but what his own personal agenda is if there's a, you know going to be some sort of more finding of common cause more mending offenses who knows he certainly tried to strike that note today
0: it's so fascinating with Andrew Cuomo because right now as you say that and as he spoke today he's talking about how Albany has been the opposite of Washington in Albany they find compromise bipartisanship, uh, he always says, you know, I'm dealing with the state Senate that I'm dealt, but we know that there, that's only very partially true, if, if true at all. Um, but, but he, he says that, but at the same time, he's orchestrating a unifying deal of some kind among Democrats to flip the state Senate, although now he's playing games with calling the special elections for the Senate. Um, and he's vowed to flip these house seats in New York. So he, he's playing a very interesting game here that we're going to have to see exactly how it, uh, develops. I think on one hand, when it comes to running New York State, he wants to work with the Republican Senate because that gives him the best chance at a very carefully crafted moderate budget. And in these times, he doesn't want more uncertainty. He doesn't want a new Democratic majority demanding all sorts of other things. Um, and he wants to help flip these House seats and have a Congress that's more friendly to New York. So all of that makes sense, but it's an interesting juxtaposition. He's out there railing against these House members, some of whom have voted for the tax bill, some New York Republicans did not, um, and saying we're going to flip those seats. And he's not exactly saying that about these state Senate seats, even though they're up for election this year as well. So endless uh, intrigue.
1: intrigue. Most intriguing to me is this is the first time we've done one of these while both wearing sweaters.
0: Um, probably. Is, it's very rare for me. It feels
1: like a Bing Crosby special. It's,
0: it's Well, you know, we're just after Christmas here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very rare for me, but this weather has me um, searching for all sorts of answers that include sweaters.